Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And what you see on your screen right now is the thumbnail image to a very popular video done by a very popular YouTube channel called Game Theory, which discussed, as we have been doing here in Virtual Legality, the case of Epic versus Apple versus Google versus the world with respect to to their Fortnite plans. And if you haven't seen it here in this space, we have covered this now for 12 videos, what will be 13 after this video is uploaded about this particular set of lawsuits. Epic suing both Apple and Google for what they allege to be antitrust violations for their ability effectively to take a 30% cut off of in-app purchases. Epic wants to cut them off, wants to get direct payment for those purposes. And as we will see in the video that is done by Game Theory. Epic also has ulterior motivations, which we have discussed in this space. But before we get to that, this was recommended to me by Harrison Kelly at Kelly1 underscore Harrison on Twitter. I also received this from a number of other people, either in DMs or places where I don't regularly publicize it on the YouTube channel. And this was recommended to me because it was getting very, very popular. If you actually look down at the bottom of your screen here, you see 1.2 million or so views as we make this video. And so I said, all right, since we are covering this space, since virtual legality exists to hopefully help clarify legal and business questions in video games and pop culture in general, I think I should check this out because this is trending on the gaming boards at YouTube. And as I did check it out, unfortunately, as is so often the case with YouTube videos in general, I found a number of problems. Now, Before we kind of dive into the specifics on these problems, one thing I do want to say, as I have said before in virtual legality, I am very appreciative of YouTubers and anybody really in the media or elsewhere that wants to tackle these issues, wants to have these discussions. Game theory is exactly correct that Epic versus Apple, Epic versus Google, this entire Fortnite battle is very, very important. Uh, And while I think that Epic has a weak case and Game Theory very much disagrees with that and takes a tack that really adopts a lot of the language that Epic used in its lawsuit and in its claim without really kind of contemplating the counter arguments, I don't think they necessarily read the Apple opposition to the temporary restraining order as we did in this space. I am still thankful about the conversation. So one thing I would say is if you're in this space for the first time or you're here for a long time, virtual legality is not a space to pile up on people, dogpile on game theory. I think they make some mistakes in what they are arguing and they kind of bite at the line that Epic provides for them a little bit. But I am glad that this kind of discussion is out there and hopefully this video can help clarify those areas that I think are wrong in the game theory video when they are covering important stuff. So as you can see on your screen, we've basically divided this into five areas and we'll go through them in order. So let's talk about payment processing. So I've put up a quote here from the video that Game Theory did and they said as follows. They're describing what is happening in this case. They say, basically, anytime you make a purchase in an app-based game like Fortnite, the payment gets processed either by Apple or Google, depending on whether you own an iPhone or an Android. In exchange for this service, Apple or Google takes a hefty 30% fee, which you know is pretty massive. Most other payment processors like Visa or MasterCard or PayPal have what's known as a credit card fee. Those are usually around 3 to 5%. So Apple and Google are basically taking that, except, you know, 10 times that amount for every emote and stolen dance move that you purchase in a game. It's pretty extreme. Now, 
we take that quote and we note a couple of things already, right? This assumes the premise that we have discussed in this space, that the 30% fee that Apple or Google is receiving is what they got for payment processing, right? In exchange for this service, you see here, they get 30%, not any other services. And so you have to wind up asking yourself, why do they get 30% and not 3 or 5%? And you wind up understanding that Visa or MasterCard or PayPal isn't evaluating what you are selling. They are solely payment processors. They are moving $100 from this account to that account, and they are taking 3% for having the ability to move it around with their software. They aren't evaluating what they are selling. They aren't establishing a storefront for those sales. The storefront itself is a separate service. Or as we discussed in our previous video in this series, when we actually broke down the Epic Games lawsuit against Apple with the it's a trap headline, because as Game Theory rightly notes, Epic did not, I believe as they describe it, pull 60 pages of legal documentation out of their butts, which while colorful is exactly correct. This would have been in process for weeks, if not months before the time when Fortnite and Epic Games pulled the trigger on this. But Game theory basically just takes the language that Epic offers. In contrast, as Epic says, software developers can make their products available to users of an Apple personal computer in an open market through a variety of stores or even through direct downloads from a developer's website with a variety of payment options and competitive processing fees that average 3%, a full 10 times lower than the exorbitant 30% fees Apple applies to its mobile device in-app purchases. But you can see even in that paragraph, or if you've visited virtual legality before and seen the video that I'm talking about right now, that they are combining things in a fashion that steals a rhetorical base. Yes, Apple's personal computer or a PC has an open marketplace and you can go and you can buy things from, say, Steam or Epic Game Store, both of which it should be noted don't charge 3%. In fact, they charge something a great deal more than that. Or as IGN reported and updated throughout this year, Valve's 30% is industry standard. And they put together a helpful little infographic on this. PC stores, Steam, 30%, with some reductions that I would argue that Epic forced from creating their Epic Game Store. And I think that's great. One of the things that people come into my comments and say all the time is you're against Epic, you're pro Apple, you're pro Google. I think Epic Game Store as a disruptor that just exists over here and tries to lower that margin and hopefully get more money to developers, but it always depends on market dynamics and whatnot. I think that's great. Will they succeed? I don't know. The 12% is new enough that it hasn't really been borne out as sufficient without Fortnite kind of subsidizing the entire Epic Games Store enterprise. So is 12% essentially predatory is a question that you will see asked by Apple and Google as kind of a response to any volleys that are thrown by Epic about this 12% versus this 30. But Steam, in an open ecosystem takes 30%. Humble Store, 25%. GOG, 30%. Microsoft Store, 30%. All of these console stores, 30%. The mobile stores, 30%. And here's what's also important. The physical stores, 30%. And that's the better way to think about this entire argument, right? What are you buying when you pay GameStop 30%? You're buying retail store space. That's somebody that walks into this store that knows that they like to buy video games from this storefront, like a GameStop or a Best Buy, that when you give them that space on that storefront, they get 30% because they are managing that relationship. They are marketing the fact that you can buy games at a GameStop or a Best Buy, just like Apple is marketing their phones and telling people that you can buy games through their app store. 
to combine this particular argument with solely being payment processing is to skip everything that Apple does. And you don't have to like Apple. You can think 30% is too high. But as we will see, and as you can see in this infographic, it is the standard. And that's going to create its own problem for the second part of what game theory gets wrong here. So let's talk about monopolies and monopoly power. Here is how they describe the situation with Epic. Epic immediately turns around to produce a 60-page lawsuit claiming that things like the Apple App Store represent an unfair monopoly stifling competition. The fact that Apple owns the device, owns the store that sells the apps for that device, and requires that purchases made through those apps go through Apple's payment services is, in Epic's opinion, a monopoly, total control over the market. And monopolies are against the law. You see that bold and underlined because I made a note of it when I heard it in this video. Now, there are a couple things I want to say here. First of all, that is completely inaccurate. Monopolies are against the law. We're going to talk about the reasons for that in just a minute. I also want to give the benefit of the doubt to game theory on this one. They could have intended this sentence to be combined with Epic's claims, but even there it's wrong because Epic isn't stupid enough through their high-priced law firm, to make a claim that is so against the jurisprudence on antitrust. So Epic doesn't claim in their lawsuit that monopolies are against the law. And certainly the presentation in the game theory video suggests that game theory is adding this little bit of color, as I have put here in this particular kind of image. And so I look at this and say, all right, you've got 1.2 million viewers. And I think the easiest takeaway from this section of your video is that monopolies in and of themselves, if you can prove these things, you own the device, you own the, the store that sells the apps, you require purchases made through those apps, and that's a monopoly, and monopolies are against the law, is the takeaway from watching your video, then that's just wrong. And that's the kind of thing that virtual legality is here to correct. So we go to the Federal Trade Commission website and we take a look at some of the very important things that are used to describe how the Sherman Act works. Section two of the Sherman Act makes it unlawful for a company to monopolize or attempt to monopolize trade or commerce. As that law has been interpreted, it is not illegal for a company to have a monopoly. Let's just start again because this is very, very, very important. It is not illegal for a company to have a monopoly. In fact, the way that the business system works in the United States is that if you are providing a good service efficiently at a cost that people want to buy it at, then probably you're going to take more and more and more and more of the market. And we don't penalize you for being successful. As the law has been interpreted, it is not illegal for a company to have a monopoly to charge high prices. The prices themselves can be high because you might have a service that is very valuable, say, a market of 1 billion devices, or to try to achieve a monopoly position by what might be viewed by some as particularly aggressive methods. We do not punish successful business models solely because they are successful. The law is violated only if the company tries to maintain or acquire a monopoly through unreasonable methods. Now, if you sit back and you look at that and you say, Rick, what does unreasonable methods even mean congratulations, you're now in antitrust class in law school. And it's one of the reasons why people come into this space and say, Rick, what is the chance of success? What is the chance of failure here? I think Epic has a weak case. I do. I, I'm not lying about that. But any given judge at any given time, any given court of appeals, any given department of justice could decide at a moment's notice that X, Y, or Z is suddenly unreasonable. And that's what creates problems in antitrust law in the U.S. in and of itself. But what is most important here 
is that the takeaway is not monopolies are against the law. The takeaway is that the use of monopoly power can be against the law in certain instances. And here, Epic's major problem is that everybody charges 30%. And Apple has charged 30% when it had much less market power. Their claim is that Apple has a monopoly in access to their own product. The problem is that exists from day one, right? If Apple's phone is released and nobody likes it and they only sell a thousand of these phones and they have 0.0001% of the market, if things functioned exactly as they function right now, Epic's case would still, if it was proven to be a winner in this instance, be a winner in that one. That because they are dividing the hardware from the overall ecosystem of phones and just saying Apple has a monopoly over app store access on iOS, it doesn't matter whether the phone is a success. And that's a problem for their entire case because it should matter, right? The antitrust laws are mostly interested in people that actually can exert market control through whatever it is their terms are. And yes, Apple can exert market control over its own terms because it sets them. But if nobody wants to buy it, the law doesn't care. And here, Apple said it at 30%. Everybody else said it at 30%. There is no indication that Apple is using its power, even if it has a monopoly, in an unreasonable fashion, as demonstrated by everybody else having the exact same price in this particular market. And that's the problem Epic is going to have. So this statement elides the entire issue facing Epic. And look, people have come into my comments and said, you are an Apple shill and you are too mean to Epic on this. I don't mind if you want to say 30% is too high and all of these places are monopolies. But you have to understand that you have to actually connect those wires to every single one of these places is its own monopoly and is using monopoly power in an untoward fashion to harm consumers. And that is a very, very, very difficult case to make and a ridiculous hill to climb. And it's important if you are game theory or anyone else on YouTube to convey this specific message, to actually convey, hey, Epic's got a case here. Maybe if they can set the market right, but it's going to be very hard to do. And just the fact that they can establish that Apple is a monopoly provider of access to iOS and iPhones doesn't get them there. It's very, very important. And I'd like to see that done here on the game theory video and elsewhere. Next, we have a little bit of a red herring. So one of the things that this video talks about is why is Epic acting now? It's a thing that we have discussed in virtual legality. And part of that reason is because there's just general tumult here in 2020. Apple's being investigated by the EU for various of these reasons, although it's not terribly dispositive to American jurisprudence. It still puts a little bit of pressure on Apple. And then game theory ties this particular instance to a case called Apple versus Pepper that is one that I've seen raised in my comments time after time after time. So it's one of those kind of hot fad-like cases that people are discussing because they see it pop up. It is a red herring, however, and it's one that we've discussed in virtual reality if you'd like to check it out. But let's take a look at what Game Theory had to say. In May of 2019, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the ruling in the case of Apple versus Pepper. Basically, the ruling of this case allows Apple app buyers to sue the company for allegedly driving up their prices. Remember that YouTube premium upcharge that I talked about a few minutes ago? Yeah, you can sue Apple to get that money back because of this ruling. To quote from one of the Supreme Court judges, a claim that a monopolistic retailer, here Apple, 
has used the monopoly to overcharge consumers is a classic antitrust claim. But while this is all true, this is an accurate description of what Apple versus Pepper does, it has almost nothing to do what, with what Epic versus Apple is about. If you can actually read this, you see what this case was about. This was about determining whether or not consumers, you or me, who owns an iPhone, can sue Apple for an antitrust claim, right? And Apple's problem with this was that they wanted to say that, no, you can't sue us for an antitrust claim because we're not the ones setting the prices on your products. When Epic says V-Bucks, a thousand of them cost 10 bucks, that's Epic setting that. And if they said it was 15 bucks, that's Epic. And if they said it was five bucks, that's Epic. And our cut doesn't change that. So what Apple was arguing is that the developers could have a claim against us but probably not the consumers. And I covered this in Virtual Legality 56, just a ridiculous amount of Virtual Legality episodes ago. Did the Supreme Court just kill console games? A lawyer reads Apple Inc. versus Pepper. And the reasoning behind that particular thumbnail question is because you can easily see how an ultimate win on this kind of case could hurt the entirety of the walled garden approach, right? That if you are allowed to sue a console maker or a phone maker under this kind of theory, then that could potentially present a problem. But the problem didn't present because of Apple versus Pepper, and it certainly didn't present because of developers suddenly coming after places like Apple. So let's take a look at some of the language here. We're just going to read the head notes of this particular case. We don't need to dive in specifically. If you are interested in more, I think I talk about it for an hour in that earlier virtual legality video. Respondents four iPhone owners sued Apple, alleging that the company has unlawfully monopolized the aftermarket for iPhone apps, similar to the claim that's being made by Epic, but a different class of claimant. Apple moved to dismiss, arguing that the iPhone owners could not be could not sue because they were not direct purchasers from Apple under a previous precedent, Illinois Brick. So what you've got in the instant case is Apple disagreeing that these are the right people to sue them. And as we will see, Although the court says iPhone owners were direct purchasers who may sue Apple for alleged monopolization because Apple actually interposes itself in the sales process, that the way this works on a kind of technical level at the Apple App Store is that uh, Epic or someone else sells their app to Apple and Apple sells it to you and they just take their 30% off the top and then remit the funds. And if it went the opposite way, if the purchasers actually purchased from the Epics of the world and then they had to pay 30% to Apple, you might have a different ruling here and you might actually see everybody reorganize under that kind of concept, depending on how all of this goes. But at the end of the day, Apple wasn't arguing that nobody could sue it. Apple argues that Illinois Brick, that prior precedent, allows consumers to sue only the party who sets the retail price, whether or not the party sells the good or service directly to the complaining party. Said another way, Apple is here saying, yeah, it is totally fine if the developers want to sue us for all of this, but it shouldn't flow all the way down to the consumers. And if you're paying attention at home, this is what is at issue here. Epic is the developer. Apple versus Pepper has nothing to do with this. The developer was always going to have the right to sue on the actual percentage cut that it has agreed to, that it is being taken from it out of the funds that it is receiving otherwise, right? The developer always has that ability. The question in Apple versus Pepper was, does that kind of relationship between Apple and a developer require the developers to sue for the 30% or can it go all the way down to consumers? And the court held there on a 5-4 decision and one that's probably likely to be revisited, I would be willing to guess. It said, hey, no, consumers can sue, 
but it didn't take away from Epic being allowed to sue or any other developer being allowed to sue. And in fact, Epic, as we saw earlier in virtual legality, is actually following along a case that's a year old in the same court that is already discussing whether 30% should be an antitrust violation or not. It's one of the reasons why the judge in the Epic case said, what are you doing, Epic? This other case is already outstanding and Apple will have to change if they lose that case. So why are you doing this now? But Apple versus Pepper, hot button issue, doesn't have anything to do with this. It would only have something to do with it if you could sue them. And the second quote here is important because I think it gets lost in the translation. The court here is saying that what the consumers claim, that they want to claim here, is a classic monopoly overcharge case, that their allegations are. Apple versus Pepper doesn't arrive at the decision that Apple is a monopoly. It doesn't arrive at the decision that Apple owes money to these consumers. All it arrived at was that these consumers could sue Apple. And that's one of the reasons you are likely to see more suits in the future. But we still haven't gotten to a place where Apple, because it controls the iOS, because it controls the iPhone and everywhere else related to the iPhone, is a monopoly provider for purposes of the Sherman Antitrust Act. And that is a such an important distinction. Finally, we have a discussion at the end of this, and you can tell from the nature of this video that this person in general is very in favor of Epic, very in favor of what they're doing, and he describes what's happening here, I think pretty accurately in some respects, and then not so accurately in others. He says, if you're Google, and especially Apple, right now you are sweating nervously because Epic is attacking you on all sides, all across the world, trying to shatter your business. He then also says, they are less concerned about the short-term profit of Fortnite and are more concerned with building the next big mobile app store. Oh, and uh, by the way, this is not the only brilliant move that Epic is doing. It's just the tip of the iceberg for these guys. When we talk about these kinds of things, Apple, Google, sweating, Epic's brilliant moves, I think it's important to kind of give context to what is actually happening right here. And God knows game theory had enough context from all of the filings that were made in the last six days alone. This virtual legality from only a couple of days ago, Apple terminates Epic Games account with the authority of the temporary restraining order that the judge put out there, which as we have talked about in this space, did appear to allow Apple to do this, although Epic might fight the fact that they don't think Apple should have been allowed to do this. Epic Games' account is terminated at the iOS. They lost the temporary restraining order to defend Fortnite and really their games business through that account at the Apple level. If you actually go and look at the court's denial of their request for temporary restraining order on this point, you see lines like, based on a review of the current limited record before the court, the court cannot conclude that Epic has met the high burden of demonstrating a likelihood of success on the merits. They cannot presume to win this case, so they cannot presume to get a temporary restraining order. Here, the court's evaluation is guided by the general notion that self-inflicted wounds are not irreparable injury. The current predicament appears of its own making. Epic Games remains free to maintain its agreements in breach status, but the sensible way to proceed would be to comply with the agreements and to continue to operate while it builds a record. And it doesn't get protection from just breaching its agreements willy-nilly. The court also says the actual functional argument here that Epic should be allowed to put a store on iOS, or in this case, a direct payment option that completely cuts Apple's business model off to get $0 for hosting them on their operating system, on their hardware, or elsewhere, is not going to fly long-term. 
Epic Games moves this court to allow it to access Apple's platform for free while it makes money on each purchase made on the same platform. While the court does anticipate that experts will say 30% is too much, the court doubts that an expert would suggest a 0% alternative. Not even Epic Games gives away its products for free. After all, we are fighting about how much you plan to charge for a completely fictional economic resource that value can change underneath the actual cash value of that resource at Epic's whim. The court says, look, Epic, you breached your agreement. That was stupid. You continue to breach your agreement. That's stupid. You can't demonstrate a likelihood of success on the merits. So maybe you'll win, but likelihood is in doubt. And by the way, what you are actually asking for here is ridiculous on the face of the business model itself. Apple has a right to have some kind of business model. And if you want to argue 30% is too high, that's one thing. If you want to say they have to be forced to support your app store and get $0 from that support, that's another thing entirely. And it's one that the court is going to be disinclined to listen to. This paragraph, very, very important. So when we're talking about whose moves are brilliant and whether or not Google and Apple are sweating, I would argue that they're not because they know the baseline for monopoly behavior. Long ago, the Supreme Court decided that the Sherman Act does not prohibit every restraint of trade, only those that are unreasonable. For instance, in some sense, any agreement between two individuals to form a partnership restrains trade, but may not do so unreasonably, and thus may be lawful under the antitrust laws. What's reasonable in a marketplace for digital sales? I'd argue that you can point to a lot of places that suggest that 30% is perfectly reasonable. And Apple didn't jack up its prices it didn't change anything recently. This is Epic fomenting a fight that if they win, will have certain second order effects as well. As we see from Apple's complaint, one of the things that's happening here is that they say that the court has never held that a manufacturer's own products comprise a relevant product market. That has been at issue throughout this entire case discussion. Does Apple having control of its hardware constitute its own market? And if it does, what is the effect of that, right? One of the things I have a significant problem with, and this is really a sin by omission rather than falsehood, is that game theory never addresses the second order effects of what it is that Epic is actually arguing for. Walled gardens have a significant issue with Epic's claim here, right? Or as Apple says correctly, under Epic's theory, each of these platforms, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, potentially other platforms like Steam or even the Epic Game Store, each of these platforms with millions of users based on their own technology would be a monopoly because they control access to that particular location. They control that retail store space. Yes, GameStop or Best Buy has a monopoly on GameStop or Best Buy shelf space the same way that Apple or Nintendo or PlayStation have a monopoly on the space on their PlayStation network, etc. And access to that space and they charge 30% for the pleasure of appearing on that space. But if you hold Epic's theories to be correct, then that's a problem across the board. And how does a channel like Game Theory that talks about video games, I believe, I'm not a regular viewer of their content. If that's something that needs to be corrected, please leave it in the comments to this video. But I, I believe they're a game-focused channel. How do they skip that Epic's argument, brilliant as they suggest that it is, would, if winning the case, have a significant deleterious effect on the remainder 
of everything that is hardware-based in video games. And I know a number of people come into the comments and say, phones are different because they are multi-purpose, but the law doesn't care about the nature of the market. It cares about the theory that established what the market is. If you go back to how game theory even described what Epic's claim is, which I think was accurate, it's about having the hardware, it's about having the app store, and it's about controlling the payments for apps in that app store. There is no distinction for those three characteristics between the phone and the PlayStation. If you want to say the PlayStation is not a general purpose item, you can make that claim. That is a very difficult one to make. I don't see any basis for it in the law, but I also think it's a difficult claim to make just factually. When you can go on your PlayStation and browse the internet and play Netflix and also play video games, I fail to see how that's terribly distinct from the phone as general communication device, especially when you start adding in, you know, headset communications and party modes and chat features and everything else. Those particular boxes under your television are not so distinct, at least under the law, from that phone that you put in your pocket. And anybody that talks about this case should be talking about what effects it would have on the entirety of the hardware ecosystem. I've limited it to video games here, but cars have OSs in them that are unique to those cars. TVs have OSs in them that allow you to purchase apps through those TVs and take a cut out of those. Roku's do. There are an entire set of technological business models premised on a walled garden that cannot exist if Epic's theory of the case holds. And in my opinion, that means that at the end of the day, one thing that's going to happen here is that if Epic wins, then Epic is going to limit consumer choice and not enhance it. So when you've got an argument like the one that is made by Game Theory here, that they are attacking you on all sides, trying to shatter your business, I think that's accurate. But remember that the purpose of these laws was to protect the process of competition, making sure there are strong incentives for businesses to operate efficiently, keep prices down and keep quality up for the benefit of consumers, the end line consumers, not necessarily the Epic Games of the world. C customers of vendors will always try to drive down prices. The law is concerned with what the consumers face. And Epic has a tough time proving that even its reduction in prices at the Epic Game Store actually affects a change in the consumer experience. Finally, trial by outrage mob is something that we have to talk about and something that was entirely skipped by game theory. And in fact, really given a megaphone for, we covered that in virtual legality in this video where we called out Epic for this whole free Fortnite campaign by using this rhetoric that is now clearly a favorite of Tim Sweeney's to talk about defying the app store monopoly, retaliation, join the fight. This is why we fight. We will not suborn to collusion with Apple and all of this rhetoric. Look, as I have said plenty of times in this space, and as I would say to Game Theory if they wound up watching this video, I don't mind you deciding that Epic has the better part of this case. I don't mind you looking at what Epic has filed and saying, you know what, I think they make a good point. I think that should be the monopoly market. I disagree with you here in this space, but as we always say, reasonable minds can differ, and Epic's case is not crazy. I think it's wrongheaded, but it's not crazy. That is distinct from using a free Fortnite hashtag, from putting up all of this informational material on Twitter, from constantly changing the posts and patch notes that they put forth in Fortnite to suggest that they are fighting some righteous duel because it isn't anything but righteous. They want to put their store on the iPhone. 
Game Theory got that right. That's right in the paperwork. They have an Epic Games app store. They want to put that on Android. They want to put that on iPhone. And more importantly, it's not good enough for them to just put it on those devices, sideloaded or jailbroken. They want Apple and Google to support it. They want it to just be there loud and proud as they would have it and then take all that money for themselves. That's what they want. More power to them for trying to get that accomplished. Less power for filing a federal lawsuit to try to get the government to force down their competition in a way that I can only see as anti-consumer because walled gardens, as much as you or I might not like them, are something that a lot of consumers like. And then to use your fan base, which is predominantly younger people, and to use rhetoric that doesn't go into any of this detail, to get places like Game Theory to relay this rhetoric with your brilliant moves and how Epic is trying to help mankind and the people, I think is absolutely despicable. Have your fight, Epic. Fight Apple. Fight them on even ground. Apple will have that fight, but don't do this. Trial by hashtag mob, outrage mob. It's wrong in every instance, and it's certainly wrong when we're talking about two giant multinational corporations fighting over money. Don't do this. And so at the end of the day, we've got 1.1, 1.2 million views. I will have 10,000 views maybe on this video, but I thought it was important to get out there. Again, I very much appreciate the game theories of the world going out there, trying to discuss these issues, but you can't simply take Epic's claims, hook, line, and sink, sinker. Sinker, right? Yeah, sinker. And you can't just take Apple's claims either. I don't want that for anybody in this space or anywhere else. I simply want everyone to get the best information possible. And unfortunately, I thought the information presented by Game Theory and its million strong viewers is anything but strong. This has been Virtual Legality for today. I hope you enjoyed this video. We talk about these kinds of things all the time in this space. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.